everyone, and welcome to our new episode of the Women in Economics Initiative podcast. This is the third episode of a new podcast series on research assistant positions. Our goal is to collect valuable information on where to look for job postings, how to successfully prepare your applications, and finally, to hear experiences from previous successful candidates. I am Virangana, and I work for the podcast team here at WRE. And today I am joined by Marta Fien, who works as a pre-doc at Harvard University. And she was very kind to share her story with us in this episode. So we will be talking to her about her experience as a pre-doc and her application process. Welcome, Marta. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, so my name is Marta, I'm from Berlin and I grew up in California. I did my undergrad at UC Berkeley, graduated with honors there, and then I worked professionally at a workforce development nonprofit in San Francisco. After that, I went to Sciences Po in Paris, and I got my master's in international economic policy, summa cum laude, and now I've uh, been working full-time at Harvard for the last year and part-time while I was doing my master's. Thank you so much for telling us, indeed, such an international experience. And um, could you tell us a little bit about where did you start looking for your research assistant job opportunities and what motivated you to look for it in the first place? So what motivated me is my love of research. I had an internship at UNS Lyon and there this like intense passion for taxation got ignited. And so I started working for Stephanie Stancheva, um, part-time, like said, and I really enjoyed the work, the kinds of questions being asked. I liked working in a team with the co-authors and with other RAs. So in about October before graduating, I started, maybe even September, I started formally applying to jobs um, that I found, I think on Twitter and on predoc.org, primarily probably, but I also cold applied and that's particularly useful if you know what you want to do. So for me, like I love taxation. I also love other things like labor and political economy and environmental and economics of crime, but I really um, knew that I loved taxation. So I specifically reached out to professors um, working in that field, especially tax evasion. Right. And you mentioned cold applying and you did give us a little bit of an insight into that but did you have any success when you were doing that yes i was very successful almost all of them i got an offer from just because you know i had the relevant experience and the relevant you know um, motivation as well so i think that works when you know what you want to do right and a part of the beauty of a pre-doc is, of course, that you get to explore new fields and you get to explore um, different research areas if you're not entirely sure. But since I knew, like, the cold applications worked very well. And you also mentioned uh, Twitter and predoc.org as um, your preferred ways of finding a job. But if you had to recommend our listeners and some platform that they should start at or, like, some platform that you think was actually the most useful for someone who might not know exactly what we're what they want to do, but they know they they want to, you know, be a research assistant, then which is that one place that you would recommend? Yeah, I would say Twitter. There's the econ underscore RA um, account. And I think that one's super useful. 
there, you know, you can see like also the variety of institutions that offer pre-docs. Yeah. So that, that would be my go-to. And did you find the Harvard position also on Twitter then, or was it pre-doc? No. Um, so I was already working for Stephanie and then I, I indicated interest in continuing full time in like September. And in January, she reached out again to see if I was still interested. So I did go through the formal application process um, through the NPR. So I did the coding task and the write-up. Perfect. And do you remember how many applications did you submit on average during that time? So I think I did four formal and four cold, probably. Yeah. And, um, and you were successful you know, in those eight applications and uh, you don't have to worry too much, is it? <laughs> I mean, I, I for two of them, I didn't get it. For two of them, I uh, like did the first stage, but not the second. And then I think I had four offers. That's amazing. I think to have four offers in a short period of time in eight applications, I think that is that is truly incredible. And when you were going through, through these applications and you were you had these formal applications and the cold applications, you know, could you tell us a little bit about what, what exactly was the process? What was the first stage? What was the second stage? And yeah, just walk us through the process. For the cold applications, what I really focused on was writing kind of a relatively short but still precise reason why I was interested in the research. Um, if you're too vague, then, you know, I mean, professors get lots of these kinds of emails. So you have to demonstrate that you know what they're doing and you can say why you want to work with them. And then for the formal applications, they vary in length, mm -hmm. right? So like some of them, you have to fill out a bunch of fields. It's a lot of, it is a lot of work. And I recommend that you play, apply to way more than eight positions. And then for some of them... You do a coding task first. For some of them, you do an interview first. And the coding tasks are pretty heterogeneous in difficulty. So some were like, honestly, pretty, pretty tricky. And some were very straightforward. Since you were mentioning the data task, I'm assuming that the data task came after you had to submit documents such as your resume and your cover letter and your undergrad and, you know, graduate transcripts, etc. Do you have any tips for the listeners with respect to those those documents, you know, something that really helps you write a very good cover letter or, yeah. Yeah, so um, for the cover letter, the way I like to do it, but this is like absolutely a personal preference, is I like to take the key facets mm -hmm. of the job application and show how I meet all of those qualifications. Right. So for example, a lot of them will say like, we prefer it if you have experience, um, independent research or research assistant positions. So you can kind of take like one paragraph where you talk about that. And then they also want to have coding skills. So you want to demonstrate exactly, you know, what softwares you've used, how you've used them. That's going to be really essential. And for me, like the interest in the field is usually its own paragraph as well. So of course, they all go together, right? Like in your research experience, you're using those softwares, obviously. But I think what really helps in general is having some sort of structure mm -hmm. and, you know, basing that structure off of the job description. They're just going to be pretty similar for, for most of them. And with respect to the data task, you mentioned that they're very heterogeneous, you know, with respect to the difficulty level and with respect to the time that is given to you. 
But if you had to recommend some some tips as to how to prepare for the data task, because I thought I a little bit struggled with the data tasks sometimes because of how heterogeneous they were. And I felt that in some of them, I was great because my, you know, my assets were being used. But in the in the others, I was sometimes struggling with time. Sometimes I, I, I yeah, I just couldn't manage the difficulty level. Sometimes even when I knew how to use Stata at an advanced level, I found myself lacking, you know, in that time period because they ask for so much sometimes. You know, you have to not only do the task, but you also have to do a little bit of a write-up to tell what you did, etc. So if you had to, you know, recommend our listeners one, like a couple of, couple of tips and also which softwares, uh, what did you use, for instance, to do the data task? So I think time management is key, which is, you know, kind of goes for life in general. But some of them you have a time limit. So some of them they'll give you only 24 hours to do it, but you can pick 24 hours within a two week period. Others, you know, they'll give you two weeks. How you approach that really depends on the time that you have and what else is going on in your life. Because of course, you know, you have exams, you have classes, you have a lot of other responsibilities other than this data task. So let's see, a couple tips is, okay, there's one super weirdly obvious one is that make sure this is actually a position that you really want to do before you invest time in it. There were, okay, this is going to sound kind of silly, but there was one where I got so bored during the data task that I decided, you know what, like, I don't want to do this. If I would have to do this for a year, like, that's just not going to work for me. Um, and yeah, just be mindful of how much time you're investing because, you know, you can make things incredibly precise and, you know, say you're like coding um, countries or whatever right? Like country names. You can put in 300 country names, but is that a good use of your time? Probably not. So you always want to be careful about what you're showing to um, the evaluating professors. So you also want to demonstrate that you know how to use your time. And then what I would say in that case is like, make a comment, you know, saying these are the ones that, you know, I didn't code and like this question, there's not even a question about countries. So, you know, I can look them up, but I'm not going to do this now. Of course, not like in a formal way. But yeah, definitely annotate. Tell the reader what you're doing. Everybody, it should be super clear. And I think it's always better when it looks clean as well. So that's my first set of advice. The software, use whichever one you're comfortable with. I'm pretty sure all of them will let you use Stata or R, at least from what I saw. And some also like Python. So whatever you feel best in, just use that one. And which one uh, was the software that you used for your task? I, I used Stata. You used Stata. And did you have previous knowledge in Stata through your graduate courses or was it through work experience? Yeah, both. Both. Okay. I think if you've never used Stata or R before, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, really do some, you know, boot camps or whatever that online tutorials, whatever you got to do, you're not going to be a successful pre-doc without those coding skills, I would say. Right, right. Agreed, 100%. And once you, you know, get past the stage of a data, data task, naturally, that's the interview stage. What was your experience like with the interviews? What kind of questions, you know, are commonly asked? How many rounds are there? And, you know, anything else that comes to mind? I think for me, there was one position that I really, really wanted. 
And I was so nervous during the interview that like, I kind of stumbled over what I was saying, which was, and I did prepare, like I was prepared. I had certain things that I wanted to say, and then they just came kind of like floofy. So the first step is definitely to prepare. Know that professor's research. Mm. See what their most recent working papers are, their most recent published work, just so that you don't look like a fool. Always a good step. Mm then know the kinds of experiences that they're going to want to ask about. They're going to want to hear about your previous research experience. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of them will kind of ask somewhat technical, but usually very elementary questions as well. Could you give us an example of something elementary? Something like, okay, say you have this data set, say you have all these controls, what's, you run this regression, what are your concerns? just kind of like very loosely throwing it out there. And the concern might be like, okay, still, um, even though I have all these controls, I might still be worried about omitted vario bias. But really, I mean, they're also looking to see how you're thinking about these problems and how you're approaching them. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes we prepare so much for the complex task that we forget that easy questions are also asked. For instance, I was asked to explain p-value to a layman. And this Something I would have never imagined to answer for a research assistant job after having completed my, you know, bachelor's and master's in economics. But it was really interesting to have that question. Yeah, but I think the general consensus also has been that the interviews are not too technical, which is which which is great because, you know, they do test you already in the data task. Another question that comes to my mind is that since you also have such an international you know, experience in terms of your education and where you've, you know, where you were born and where you were raised. Did you have a preference uh, with respect to where you wanted to do a pre-doc, you know, geographically? I mean, was it the US, Europe? Did you apply everywhere? I know you had, you know, not that many applications, but geographically, where were those applications? So I did apply in Europe as well as the US, but I'm a U.S. permanent resident, which basically means that I can't leave the country for more than two years without, well, actually for more than six months without a special permission. And that special permission, which is called a reentry permit, expires at the end of two years. So I basically, I did apply to Europe. There was several positions that I was really interested in, and I really cried when I found out that I um you know, wouldn't be able to take them because of immigration issues. Yeah, so I was kind of constrained to the U.S., Okay, okay, that, that's pretty sad, but also pretty great that you work at Howard. So, you know, and so we've gone through, you know, the application process, and you're here now working as a pre doc at Harvard, as we know, what is your current position? Like what, you know, if you could give us an overview of what is the kind of work that you do? And also what skills, if there are any skills that you wish you had before joining this position, what what would you say about that? So the kind of work that I do or have done um, is pretty diverse. So the first project we worked on was writing a survey guide, which was kind of a mix of literature reviews, but also like formatting it into the paper and gathering that information in a logical way. And then, you know, also helping design surveys, helping run surveys, starting to like clean the data, look at the data. And then, you know, standard RA work also like making presentations. 
Um, the last thing that I worked on was digitizing historical tax data, which honestly was super fun because I got to like try out all of these different softwares and see what worked best and like kind of reduce the amount of manual labor that I had to do. So I think like there can be a very wide variety of tasks and it's a good idea to have um, you know, kind of clear expectations with your PI about what that's going to look like, like the kinds of projects that you're going to work on, how often you're going to communicate, how that communication is going to look like. I think th that's pretty key. In terms of skills, I mean, you can never be, you're never done learning. You're never done improving your coding skills. You're never done improving your empirical skills. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think like it's, it's, kind of like a continuous process but I definitely did wish that I was a better writer I don't know why I think I think that's something that wasn't a big focus during my during my studies so when I actually started my job I was like oh I could write better but agreed I think like with coding and everything the more you learn the better you get and it never ends one of the very last questions not last but you know, maybe the second last question that I'd like to know from like that I like to ask is that you're working as a pre-doc. So do you wish to go into academia after this, the public sector or the private sector? And consequently, which, you know, like whom do you think this job suits the best? Let's say if I want to go into the public sector or the private sector, would you recommend that I do this job or is it only suited for people who would like to, let's say, do a PhD later and get into academia? Um, I think this job is suited to two kinds of people. The first are the ones that already know and are sure that they want to go into academia. And the second are the ones that are not sure. Be and it's okay not to be sure. And like, not everybody knows, especially when you come like right out of undergrad, you know, like it's very different being in a classroom and doing problem sets compared to like the actual research process. So I think it's like super valuable to to get that experience. If you know that you want to go into the private sector or public sector, don't do a pre-doc. The, the pay is, is fine, but you know, you don't need it for the private sector. You don't need it for the public sector. So I don't know why you would. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, but then when you say that for people who don't know what they want to do, I was wondering if they decide that they don't don't want to go into academia, then would any of the skills that they gained during the pre-doc, do you think, would they be valuable when they enter either the private sector or the public sector? Are there any skills that you think would be good to, to get? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely, right? Depending on what exactly you want to do, you know, the hard skills are really going to matter, right? My roommate is an economic consulting and she also uses Stata. So if she had done a pre-doc and, you know, gained those coding skills or say like any kind of data analyst position like that statistics background is going to be helpful and then with any kind of work like communication skills you need them so I mean for me personally like I just enjoy research I like being a research assistant of course I want to do my own research as well but you know intrinsically this is also the kind of job that I would just enjoy doing outside of the pre-doc context yeah. And it's really, you know, I, at its best designed to help you build your skills. So yeah, it can, it can absolutely still be useful. And before we end this episode, I have one final question for you. And that would be that what is that one tip 
that you would give to our listeners who are planning to apply for either a pre-doc or a research assistant position in this coming year? If that was just one thing you could tell them. Does it have to be one? I wrote down several. Well, I'm very happy to hear several. The more the merrier. (laughs) So one that's like very specific is to know exactly what your non-pecuniary benefits Mm -hmm. are or specifically about benefits other than salary. So for me, something that I didn't quite realize is that because my official employer is the NBER, Mm -hmm. I don't get the Harvard tuition reduction. So every all the other pre-docs around me, they can take classes at 10% of the cost because they're official Harvard employees. Mm -hmm. They can take a class for $600, whereas if I want credit for it, it costs $6,000. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of pretty much everything else, right? Like we're identical. We sit in the same buildings. Our PIs are all at Harvard, et cetera, but like it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So that's something that, you know, you might want to be aware of. And along those same lines, take advantage of where you are. So last semester, I audited two classes at Harvard Law. I audited tax law and employment law, realized that law is awesome and now want to do a JD PhD and essentially unify tax law and employment law with tax econ and like labor econ. So yeah, I had that opportunity because I was here. So take advantage of it. Go to all the seminars that you can go to. Go take non-econ courses as well. Like check those out or check out all the campus happenings. Mm And then my last step here is to build a community. So here in the Litauer building, the other pre-docs are all fantastic, amazing. We get along great. You know, we help each other. We hang out. And um, that's not a given. Like, that's something that, you know, we kind of actively worked on and has just made the whole experience uh, be as best as it can be for me. So that's what I would say. Right. I think those are some of the most helpful tips I've heard, to be honest. The whole thing about auditing a law class and actually wanting to combine the two, I think that's that's very impressive. And I think that's a very, very useful tip. And I would like to thank you for being a part, being a part of this podcast and this episode. Very, very happy to have heard about your experience. And I'm 100% sure that it's going to be very useful for everybody who listens. So thank you so much. And yeah, wish you all the very best for everything that's that lies ahead of you. Thank you so much. This was really fun. The views expressed in WE podcasts are those of the interviewers and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of the organization, its partners, other members, or any other affiliated people and organizations. We'd also like to thank Maddie Stevenson for writing and recording our original theme song. For anyone who would like to learn more about the Women in Economics Initiative, please find us online as well as on most social media channels.